0: Nine miners are missing after a colossal flood in Somerset County's Kew Creek Mine. In part one of this story, we heard how Joe Spiffoni and a huge team of rescuers worked tirelessly to drill through to the mine in the hope of reaching any survivors before completely filled with water. But then the drill bit broke. Banging was heard coming from inside the mine, but it hasn't been heard for 12 hours. Incredibly, Sue Unger refuses to lose hope. Her strength and faith was a source of much comfort to many in the fire hall.
1: I felt peace. I just felt that the Lord God was taking care of him. So I kind of had peace within me that he was going to come out. You know, tried not to think of what could happen. I kept thinking about he'll be coming out. So that's
2: how I felt about it. Sue Unger, even though she was struggling with MS that she had had for years, everyone that was at the fire hall said that when you walked in, she was the one with a smile on her face. And she was the one that was saying, I'm not sure how, but these guys are going to make it. They're going to get out.
0: It was around this time that a letter was received by Governor Schweiker, sent from the families of Flight 93, which crashed in Somerset County on 9-11.
3: There was a letter came from the families of Flight 93 that the governor read to the families during the rescue. And it said that, you know, it's not gonna happen again in Somerset. That, you know,
0: they were praying and it was gonna be successful. I'm Donnie Dust, United States Marine Corps Veteran and world-renowned survival expert. This is Rescue. Today's episode, A Summer's Day, Part 2. Look,
2: Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1, since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: At sometime around 2 p.m. on Friday... Joe receives news from the company working on the extraction tool. After pulling out all the stops, they've managed to build it in three hours flat. A National Guard helicopter is sent to collect it. When it is lifted onto the pallet, it is so hot off the press, it burns into the wood. Just a few hours later, the broken drill bit is successfully removed, and by 8 p.m., the primary rescue drill is turning again. After another painstaking night, at 1.30 p.m. on Saturday, July 28th, 65 hours since the mine was breached, they were less than 20 feet away from the top of the mine shaft. But Joe orders the team to shut the drill down.
3: The next morning, uh, the water still wasn't quite down far enough. So we stopped drilling with the number one hole because we had to wait for the water to get to a certain elevation because we didn't want to jeopardize the air pocket.
2: We didn't know for sure if the mine was under pressure from all the water. And us breaking through with that large diameter shaft would fracture that pressure, like pricking a hole in a balloon. And the air would escape through the rescue shaft and the water would rush in and literally crush the men before they even had a chance to drown. It was also a concern that the mine was under a negative pressure. And so when we broke through, there would be a massive suction down into the mine. And and that was a very real possibility.
0: As the wait goes on and on, tensions reach a fever pitch. At 10 p.m., the rescue team finally agree the water level is low enough and the drill is started up again. 15 minutes later, 74 hours after the breach, the drill breaks through to Kew Creek Mine. Governor Schweiker delivers the news.
2: I'm very happy to report that uh, at about 10-16, we did break through. The operation now is ongoing. we ready ourselves for this second step as it relates to real rescue effort and take the steel out of there, and hopefully we're going to be good to go.
0: Back at the rescue site, all equipment is shut off. The site falls deathly quiet, as all who were there wait expectantly for any sign of life from below. And then it happens. The banging is coming from the original six-inch drill which have remained in the ground in case any survivors continued to use it to try and communicate with the surface. Now someone is using it again. The drill is hastily removed and acoustics expert, Rob Zoremsky is quickly brought up to the site. In front of the media pool camera that is streaming the images live around the world, Zaremsky places his headphones over his ears, then drops the small speaker and microphone system into the hole. He strained to hear through his headphones as the device dropped slowly down to 30 feet, 40 feet, 60 feet.
2: I was standing just about 5 or 10 feet from him and handing the cable down into the shaft. And I can remember he was squeezing his headphones tight against his ears and he was speaking into the microphone and he kept saying, Can you hear me, guys? Can you hear me now? We're in the mine. Can you hear me? Please answer me and he kept repeating this over and over and over again.
0: At 75 feet, Zaremsky thinks he hears voices. Moments later, the microphone drops through into the mine shaft.
2: His head snapped up and he looked directly at me and he paused for a second.
0: Then Zaremsky asked the question he will forever be remembered for.
2: And he said, are you the nine men trapped in the mine? And my initial reaction was, who in the world do you think we'd be looking for, the seven dwarfs possibly?
0: The response from below is equally incredulous, but Zaremsky has his answer. He looks out to the surrounding crowd and puts two thumbs up. Then he holds up nine fingers. All nine men are alive. With that, a messenger is immediately dispatched to the Sipesville fire hall.
1: He must've been going 80 mile an hour and the dust was flying and he was running into the fire hall. They kept yelling, Oh, must be good news, must be good news. He's driving like a maniac. So we come in, and he was out of breath, and he said that they found him, and everyone's alive, and it was just... Everyone went crazy. And uh, everybody was hugging each other and crying and carrying on, and it was just wonderful. Somebody was hugging me. I thought they were breaking my ribs. But, I mean... (laughs) It was just a big celebration. That's how it felt.
3: Oh, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I was up above, and I come walking down, and the one fella come up to me and said, "We did it." And I looked at him and I said, "We did it." He said, "Yeah, all nine were alive." Now we knew we still had to pull the miners out, but I felt very
0: confident that we were going to be able to do that. Once it's confirmed the men are all alive, it falls to Joe and Governor Schweiker to break the news to the press.
3: When the governor came out and said all nine are alive, there wasn't a dry eye in the place and you could have heard a pin drop. Even some of the hardcore media people, they were just in awe. Because I think they all thought that it was gonna be a negative outcome. Wendy Bell and Michelle Wright from Channel 4 grabbed me and uh, they wanted to do an interview. And I said, uh, all you want me to do is cry on TV. And that's what I did, cried on TV. I knew that we still had to pull the miners up, but I knew they were coming out. And uh, I was pretty well drained at that
0: time, emotionally and physically. The next step is to bring in the rescue capsule, essentially a bright yellow one-person elevator tube, measuring a very tight 22 inches in diameter. While it's maneuvered into place, the men have some demands.
3: Oh, they wanted beer, they wanted beer, they wanted chewing tobacco, they didn't get neither. Yeah, they they got water and they got uh, cap lights and some provisions.
0: Ignoring the safety advice, a few of the rescuers happily sneak some tobacco in alongside the food and water that is sent down to the miners. At just after midnight, the rescue capsule is dropped into the shaft. And a few minutes later, the first of the miners emerges out of the hole.
3: First miner out was Randy Fogel. He looked like a drawn rat coming up through them aquifers.
0: Unknown to the rescue team, the drill had pierced an aquifer on the way down, sending water cascading into the mine shaft below, which made for a fairly wet exit for the miners.
3: After that, we sent raincoats down, so all the rest of them had raincoats on when they come up.
0: And so it continues, as one by one, each of the men are lifted up into the cool night air.
2: Everyone that had now been working very diligently had now just suddenly crowded around the rescue shaft to watch the men come up. And as each man would get close to the surface, the crowd of several hundred people would just break out into spontaneous applause as a salute to the strength and the integrity that these guys showed for being trapped for almost four days and to still be alive and healthy enough to get into the capsule without assistance. It became, I don't know what the correct term is. It wasn't stoic, but it wasn't celebratory either. It was almost as if an, it was an ovation, almost like a salute to their fortitude in surviving this incredible ordeal.
0: At just after 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, the ninth and final miner is returned to the surface.
3: Nine for nine. Yes, sir. Yes.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a
0: member FDIC. Once all the men were safely out of the mine, they were quickly assessed before being sent to the hospital. Thankfully, none were found to be suffering from any major health issues.
3: We had rescuers there that were taking care of the rescue capsule and As they come up, they were put on a stretcher of the miners, and they were taken up, and they were triaged up on top. One went by helicopter, the others went by ambulance. And then their families were all reunited with them at the Connemont Hospital, Somerset.
0: As soon as Sue Unger got the news that John was out, she and her family leapt into a car and drove to the hospital as fast as they could.
1: We finally got in to see him, and he had coal. It was like a oily, black stuff. It was in his ears. I mean, he looked pretty black. Yeah, he was eating, he was starved to death. And everyone was happy to see him and it was like a big party again. My son said to, to John, you should have stayed one more day because they were feeding us so good. And uh, John goes, well, I'm glad you ate good, because we did not. (laughs) I have no idea what I said to him. If I said anything, it was just nice seeing him. (laughs) We stayed in the hospital for a while, but um, it was, like I said, it was wonderful to finally see him all in one piece, dirt and all.
4: I'm John Hunger. I'm 73 years old. I've been married 52 years to my wife. We have two kids. We live on a farm and I mine coal all my life. (laughs) That's who I am. (laughs) Well, they started yelling. We hit water and we had to get out. I didn't get excited about it. I didn't think it was a big deal. So I thought, well, maybe I better walk over and look at this. So I went over and I looked at this water and I thought, oh, this this is not good. The roar was the biggest thing in, in my entire life. I still can hear the roar. It was like a jet engine. And as close as I am to you right now, I would have to shout. That's how loud the roar was. It's beyond words. It was like nothing i ever seen. But I knew we were in a lot of trouble right now. and. uh if we were going to get out. We had to go. But we had a slight problem. The guy that was running the miner itself, he was on the wrong side of the water.
0: Mark Poppernack, the last man who came out of the mine, was working on the machine that, through no fault of his own, accidentally made the breach. When the thundering stream of water gushed out of the hole, he became trapped on the other side of it. It's been speculated that the men still had enough time to escape the tunnel at this point, but they weren't going to leave their brother behind. Poppernak thought they'd done just that, when a few minutes after the breach, he saw figures approaching from the other side of the raging stream. It was his crew coming back to save him. Using a mining vehicle, they were able to create a bridge over the water just wide enough for Mark to leap onto and get free.
4: We weren't gonna leave without him. That's where we got in trouble. The Water had to, all the exits cut off. Everything was completely flooded out. There was no way we were getting out. So we moved up to, it was the highest point of the mine and we moved in there and decided to stay there.
0: At first, the men tried to dam up the shaft around them with whatever materials they could find. But as the water kept rising, they knew it was futile.
4: If they didn't get the water under control, we were all going to drown. I mean, that's just a plain and simple fact. And we all knew that. We all knew what we was up against and how much water was coming in and how fast it was rising.
0: The men found an empty packaging box and tore strips of cardboard from it to write goodbye notes to their loved ones.
4: Probably the hardest thing I ever done in my life was write my wife a farewell note and my kids. <laughs> That's tough. The hardest thing I think I ever did. I watched those guys, I mean, they're tough guys, all of them, and they were writing these letters, and this one guy I knew probably 25 years. Softest little guy I ever met in my life. He had these big tears coming down his face.
0: Some might think that writing a letter like this is a moment of defeat or an acceptance of death, but that's not how I see it. I've written many letters over the years to loved ones while serving overseas in some pretty dangerous places. For me, and I think for the minors, it could be the opposite of defeat. It's an actualization of life. I'm still here, I'm still fighting. But if something does happen, then these are my last thoughts. For John, he watched his friends write and cry before taking pen to paper himself. And it brought him peace.
4: I just sat in this pile of coal and I, I just prayed to God. I didn't ask him to live or die. I just asked him to have the strength to do whatever his will was, whether it was live or die. And when I did that, I felt uh, like an inner peace.
0: He couldn't have known it, but at the same time, his wife, Sue, had also found peace with the situation.
4: And then I went to write these letters. And then we figured we'd write them at 12 o'clock. One o'clock, we would drown. We put them in a place where they would find them. When they found us, they would find these letters with us too. So, you know, that they would get to our families. I've never shared anything with that note except one thing, how I signed it. I signed it, I was sorry. I always told her when I worked underground, it didn't matter how ugly it got, how bad it was when the dust cleared, I'd be there. But this time, I thought maybe I bit off more than I could chew. I basically felt like I lied to her, that I wasn't going to make it this time.
0: And I signed it. I was sorry. It was soon after they wrote their notes that they heard drilling. We
4: didn't know what was going on. We were all standing around. I hit the one guy in the head when it came through. And then we tapped on it to let them know that, you know, we were all alive.
0: In the end, it was a testament to the remarkable skill of the rescue workers and the bright instincts of the miners that they were exactly where they needed to be to be rescued.
4: Well, it was Saturday and they shut the air off and everything, you know, and you could hear them like banging around and doing stuff. So two guys went looking to see what was going on. This one guy said to me, he says, you want to go home today? I said, it'd be a good idea. But I said, I don't think it's gonna happen. He said, we found a rescue hole. When we got there, I'll never forget it. It was the weirdest thing in the whole world. They were dropping this microphone down. It had a green glow ring on it. And it was all foggy in there from the water. And it was weird. I mean, it was coming down and you could hear this guy saying, hello, hello, hello. So Randy said to this guy we called Flathead, he said, answer the phone, Flathead. So he, he answered the phone. When he said hello, he said to do the trap miners. I think, oh, dear God, where do they find these people at? You know, no, we're Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You know, I'm thinking, who do you think we are?
2: He explained after the rescue that his equipment was so sensitive that that he could actually hear truck drivers on the highway and he could hear the firemen talking on their walkie-talkies and the helicopter talking to the hospital. And so he said, I wanted to be very sure before I told someone that their husband or their brother or their father was alive, I wanted to make very sure that I was talking to the men in the mine and not some guy in a truck on the highway.
4: There's a little pause there. So I talked to him, he said, I'm gonna ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, how many of you are alive? I said, all nine of us. And it was a big pause. And then he said back, he said, are you sure? I said, we're all standing right here. And then he like broke down, he started to cry. They were gonna send blankets down, candy bars, granola bars and water and stuff like that. And we told them we needed tobacco really bad, so they sent snuff and side chew down and stuff like that. It was possibly the best chew I ever had in my life. I didn't care how long it was going to take, just as long as we were getting out. That was the main thing.
0: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No.
4: And that uh, Joe Smifoni, yes, smart guy, really a smart guy, really a good guy. Him and I talk about this a lot still. He had no idea what he was really trying to do, but he he, he had a theory, and he thought it would work. It was all uh, shot in the dark, the best way to put it. You know, they had an idea, a plan, what they thought would work, what they hoped would work, and, and that's what they went off of.
0: When John finally made it back to the surface, it was hard to put into words what that felt like.
4: It was pretty cool. (laughs) I didn't think we'd ever see anybody again. I mean, to see my wife and my kids was neat. You know, to know you were alive and got to hug your wife and kids again. That's no way to explain that to you. I mean, I, I don't know how to tell you. It was great, is all I can say to you. It was really, really a, a, a good feeling. She probably told me I was awful dirty and she didn't want to touch me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what she might have said. I probably told her I loved her. I told her I loved her, but I'm not sure what I said to her. It was just glad to see her, hug her and hold her.
0: Not long after the men got out, it soon became clear just how much the rescue had captured the imagination of a nation still bruised and raw from the shocking and tragic events of 9-11.
4: I mean, there's a lot of bad things, but there's still a lot of good people out there in this world. There, There just is. And something like that seems to bring all the good together. And that's what we did. A time when America needed something big and good We got to be
2: it. It was a real turning point to see the international media descend on Somerset County again for what looked like another tragedy, only to fight valiantly for nearly four days and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. I think that was a very poignant symbol. I
4: think it makes you appreciate everything that you have more because you could have lost everything. And things that used to be important aren't quite as important. I've lived 22 years longer than I thought I would. You know, so that's a gift.
0: Big gift. After the rescue was completed, Bill Arnold returned to his duties on the farm while Joe conducted another press conference before driving back home to his own family in Fayette County.
3: I got home and had a little bit to eat and tried to go in and lay down. And uh, I couldn't. And and, uh, the fire department that I belonged to, we were in the fireman's league softball. We played every Sunday. And I told my wife, I said, come on, let's go for a ride. I said, we'll go up to the up to the game and I wasn't really planning on playing and went down to the ball field Ended up playing two games. The town where I lived, Collinsburg, a little old mining town, a lot of old coal miners. They had a big sign congratulations and all that and went down to the field and quite a few of the miners' sons and daughters were there to congratulate me and Yeah. Pretty hot, You can't put any of the crying on the podcast. (laughs) Believe me, I wouldn't want to ever go through it again. I was involved with everything that went on in the state for a long time, and a lot of it was bad. A lot of it didn't turn out so good. A lot of it was fatalities, serious accidents, incidents. Pew Creek was the high point of my career. Uh, you know, to live through that and have it come out the way that it did. And, and also I want to make it very clear and you are going to make this part of the podcast. We had the best mining people in the country at that site. I don't want anyone to think that this was me. I was part of the process. We had people there from the Emshalt, people from the coal company, uh, all kind of advice and assistance. Every rescuer on that site, everybody that was there contributed.
4: There's just certain things that I'll never forget. Well, I might when I get old and crazy, but right now I, I don't forget them. And I think about it every day.
3: The medical assessment team, the drillers, the assemblers, the people that secured the site, give yourselves a big hand here.
0: You've been listening to Rescue with Donnie Dust. Rescue is a Sony Music Entertainment production. Thanks to all the contributors for sharing their story with us. Rescue is produced by Richard McLean Smith. The executive producer is Louisa Field. The junior producer is Martha Miller. Scoring and sound design by Gulliver Tickle. Music composed by Eleni Hassabis. The production coordinator is Lily Hambly. The production manager is Kat Moran. Thanks to Jez Nelson, Chris Skinner, and Julia Stevenson. If you like this podcast, then do check out other Sony podcasts.